someone who made a significant impact on your faith when you were young in the faith, and how did they make a big impact? Well, the first one is obvious. It was my parents. Um, they sort of set the foundation for me. My mom, uh, by far, has had the most impact on my faith. I don't know that I knew that when I was young. And uh, even when I became a Christian, I don't think if you'd have asked me this in the first few years of my life that she would have the most impact. But that, um, looking back now, 40-something years, that's by far the truth. I didn't grow up going to church, and I started going to church before my parents went to church. So probably the person who impacted my faith early on as a teenager would have been the youth minister at the church where I started attending. She was a Christian her whole life, um, wanted to be a missionary, but during the time that she grew up, her mom and dad definitely were not gonna let her go as a single woman to Africa. And uh, so she chose to go uh, to the Mississippi Delta and teach poor black people that uh, her mom and dad also were not happy about. And met my dad, uh, he was not a Christian, became, she married him. Uh, made him have a commitment that he would go to church with her every week and he didn't go because he was interested in God but went because he was a person that kept his word. My parents just, just church was non-negotiable. It was just what we did. It wasn't a, a part of your life. It was life. It was the body of Christ was who we identified with in all things. And so um, growing up, you know, Church wasn't something that I went to. It was, like we say around here, it was a community that I was connected to. And so it was as strong or stronger than family. And so that was ingrained in me. He uh, had a joy about him that I wanted. And yet at the same time, he was very serious about uh, people needed to know Jesus. And so uh, that's what I did. I never remember as a kid not going to church. I mean, it was a pretty firm rule. Um, I can remember playing on a baseball team and my mom, uh, we were they were gonna go to Memphis to a minor league baseball game, which is the greatest thing ever in my life. And But they were going on a Sunday and my mom was real clear. Yeah, we go to church on Sunday. And uh, then my dad, because that's who he was, he uh, drove past the place that they were picking up the kids in the morning so I could wave at them. And <laughs> I definitely think the biggest person is actually probably my youth pastor, Brady. Uh, for me, someone that made a big impact in my life was Jeff Skinner. He used to be our children's pastor here. And um, Jeff really um, believed that kids could be involved at a young age in serving. And I was one of his first little group that he sort of challenged to do things. He's the one that actually got me involved in music. And then, of course, as I grew up and started separating from my parents a little bit, I had another adult who just sort of picked up where they left off. It was my youth minister, his name was Dwayne. And Dwayne uh, grabbed me when I was a teenager and I think saw a lot of potential in me uh, as far as my how my faith could grow and how serious I was about my relationship with God. And so he, um, for him, I think the thing he gave me the most was he gave me opportunities to serve and to do ministry as a young person. He did a great job of making me personally not feel like a seventh grader. He talked to me like I watched him talk to everyone else. Jeff gave me opportunities by believing in me and telling me, um, you know, just get up there and do it. I was very nervous. I, I was terrified to be in front of people. I remember the very first Sunday that I led worship for kids um, back in our current 
um, large group room. And I remember standing there in front of a keyboard and my knees just shaking the whole time. And Jeff just stood in the back of the room and just kept his eyes on me and just said, look at me the whole time, it's gonna be okay. Um, and ever since then, then I led worship for, I don't know, 20, 23 years after that. When I was done in high school, he stopped being my youth pastor and he became my friend. And that was just, that, that, that really contributed a lot to me being able to understand that his walk with Jesus was not his job. His walk with Jesus was his walk with Jesus. And that just was ancillary to his job as well. He gave me opportunities to try and to fail and to stretch my wing, you know, spread my wings and to do all the stuff. And uh, so that was, that gave me the sense that, oh, okay, I'm a part of the church. I'm actually active and I'm, I'm contributing. I'm not just attending. And so that, that helped my faith blossom as well. And then later after I became a Christian, um, you know, uh, I found out, you know, she'd been praying for me. Uh, and uh, then, you know, years later, after they were both dead, I'd find, meet people from Mississippi that would say, you know, your mom had us pray for you when you were off on the wild side. And <laughs> we're so glad that everything turned around. But I've come to realize all of that, um, that I think that's eventually what it was. She prayed, 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 and was just consistent in loving me uh, when I was so far off without preaching. She did not preach. So um, I guess from the time I was probably first grade, I, I know I was able to read um, at my small little church. Um, one of my favorite teachers who actually was a teacher, had, was my teacher for probably five years or so uh, in Sunday school, because we didn't do children's church back then. But she was the grandmother of a really good friend of mine. And so anyway, I don't know what it was about her and her teaching style, but I learned memory verses. I learned Bible stories that I couldn't forget. Just in the way that she presented them, they came alive. And so I just always thought, oh, I want to be like Miss Bachman when I grow up. And now you are. And now that's what, I, what I'm trying to do anyway. Welcome to the Not Great Parent Podcast. I'm Molly, Not Great Parent, and this is my co-host Nathan, who's also not a great parent. Not a great parent, yes. for sure. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? Doing pretty good. good, yeah. We've had a crazy past couple days. We had some health stuff going on in our house, and then we this morning trying to get ready to set to film has been a little frustrating, but we're, we're going and that's what matters. That so. is true. Well, um, it's actually the last of um, this season or series that yes. we um, have done our first, it's our first season and this is the last full episode that we'll have. Yeah, um, not the last episode of the Not Great Parents podcast, but of no. this particular season. So Molly, why is it that we are, I mean, I don't think anyone even knew that this was a season they were watching no, or we, what was going on. So why is it that we're, we're breaking it out the way that we are? Well, we wanna have different sort of series or mm -hmm. um, you know, a few shows where we are talking about something specific or right. um, things that group well together for right. you. So this this uh, last few episodes, we've been talking about why we do church together and right. why that matters. Why does that matter to our, um, you know, to, to the li in the lives of ourselves and in the lives of our children and our families. So, um, you know, we usually start, and we didn't say this at the beginning, why are we calling ourselves a Not Great Parents podcast to begin yeah, this, with? So, this whole first season really was establishing that concept of, 
We're going for good, not great. Good, not great. Right? We're not pursuing what the world calls greatness for our kids. There is a way to be a parent where primarily what you're looking for is to help your kids succeed or to be happy or all these different kind of things. We've used the phrase here before, happy, nice, successful virgins, right? That that's what you're going for. And that's kind of the greatness model. As long as my kid is successful in the sense that like other people would look at me and my family and go, man, they are killing it. They've got it figured out. They got it figured out. Or maybe you don't care as much about success, but you really care about your kid being happy, Mm -hmm. right? And then finding themselves and all those different Mm -hmm. ideas. And we're saying those aren't what we're pursuing. What we are primarily pursuing is we are pursuing God's goodness. Right. And that we find true meaning in God's goodness over the success and happiness that this world claims at least to offer. Right. And you and and those things will sometimes happen, but yeah. but God's goodness will not happen if it's not the priority in your life and in the That's priority right. for your family. That it will always drift out. It will always drift out. And yeah. the and the greatness that you pursue will one, never be satisfying. Yes. And two, it will um yeah, it, it will not be the same as pursuing God's goodness. Yeah, it won't ultimately have the same meaning and satisfaction that ultimately what people, I think, are looking for. We just had a whole, uh, last week we had these really long meetings of the staff trying to figure out what is it that we're trying to do. And one of the things we talked about is that people in our world are looking for success. They're looking for happiness, right? They're looking for these experiences and all these different kinds of things. But really what people are looking for, I think, is they're not really looking for success. They're looking for significance. Right. But the way our world sells it is if you're successful, if your life is Instagrammable. You are, yeah. Yeah, it, your life is significant. You've right. done something. You and matter. You, if you if, yes. if we could post this on Instagram and yes. put it out there and you get a ton of likes or whatever, yes. it matters. And that you are significant. Well, and, and I need, accepted. I need to have either a story I can tell about my kid mm-hmm. that proves to every other parent, or I need some kind of achievement mm-hmm. that I can put up, right? You know, it's the, what I don't think anyone the does it anymore. Stickers. But the old bumper stickers of my kid's an honor roll student. Yeah. But... Maybe I put it on a t-shirt or maybe... At or the, it's a Facebook post. Yes. Most of the way as I see it now is I'm so proud of this kid and then I list all their achievements so that other people will be proud. It's not really about me being proud of my kid. It's really about everyone else telling yes. me I did a good job yes. with my kid, right? So what I'm looking for is significance. I want to know I as a mom, I as a dad am significant because my kid was successful mm-hmm. and I did a good job mm-hmm. or I want my kid to feel significant because they can feel like they accomplished something, they did something and they go on to be great. Or there's this other side, I'm looking for happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And ultimately I think what people are looking for is they're looking for satisfaction. Right. They're not looking for happiness in the sense of this roller coaster ride of up and down experiences, right? When things are good, everything's high. When things are bad, uh, everything's really low. What ultimately I'm looking for is this deep level of meaning and satisfaction, significance and meaning and satisfaction that Mm -hmm. tells me, uh, one, that I do matter, right? that my life matters, what I do matters. I want to know that what who I am and what I do contributes some way to making this world either, we would say, a better place or whatever that is. I want that meaning and significance, and I want that to be satisfying. I want at the end right. of the day that when I do something, I know at the end 
man, that that not only did it matter, but man, it felt good. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't mean feel good in the happiness model. I felt like I did something right. good. And we know that long term for our kids, the best way to do that is for them to pursue God's goodness. Right. Because He's the only true source of meaning. Mm-hmm. The only way for my life in this world to have meaning is to be tied to something outside of this world. Mm-hmm. And as a mom or and dad as well, but you know, I have a mom perspective. It's easy to to feel like you have to chase and and pursue the greatness because it's just so there in your face and um, it's hard to it's hard to reprioritize it's hard to make that shift but when you do and you start to like you said feel that or understand that and that that comes from God it is truly satisfying right and ultimately you feel like your life it makes those moments of happiness it's not about that, oh, well, now my kid doesn't play sports or now my kid doesn't do this thing, or it's not even that I don't set my kid up to do well at things. What it is is when I'm not pursuing those. I think the natural flow of American culture, as long as you're not choosing to go off and become Amish, which we are definitely not telling you to go do, as long as you keep your kids with it. You know, my kids are even homeschooled, but they they live enough in the American culture that's around. They hear, they have friends, they listen to the way they talk. They are going, the natural draw will be to find your talent. You know, my kids always say, what's my talent? What's my talent? What's your thing? What's my thing? Which we talked about it, we we talked about it a lot. And that's that's something we we've covered but what is my thing we are we are, the world is telling us and th- right. that everybody needs a thing right. and so you know might be baseball it might be art it might yes. be music it might but everybody's got to have a thing and that thing is what they believe defines them. And I think that's the nature. And I want to say this because I think sometimes <laughs> I feel at least I get misunderstood on this. I don't know if it is <laughs> but I'm not even saying that that's wrong for your kid to feel that way. I think that is appropriate. I even think it is God-given that your kid begins to identify, as Sawyer has brought up, and he'll kind of teach us again today in this episode, it is normal for your kid to start thinking, what what is it that makes me special? Where do I belong? How do I contribute? Those are good godly things. I, I remember reading Ronald Rollheiser, who's a Catholic priest who writes a lot about what he calls state uh, stage development theory mm-hmm. for faith. That we have stage development theory just in psychology and sociology, but he says in faith there's really three stages. And the first one is building your life, mm-hmm. which is basically zero to thirty-five. And then he talks about how when Jesus calls you to give your life away, mm-hmm. he says. Sometimes we try to teach kids early to be um, the wrong version of selflessness, which is basically to not have a self. Oh, like, yeah. don't ever think about yourself. Don't ever develop no. yourself. But what God's, what God intended for your kid to do is your kid and your teenager in particular and your children, they do not have the part of their brain developed yet to even think about another person's experience, which is why your kid constantly thinks people are persecuting them. <laughs> And you're constantly thinking your kid's selfish. Right. You're looking at your kid and they're, they constantly, the teacher's out to get them, the coach's out to get them, you're yes. out to get them, their friends. Everyone, anytime they walk into a room, everyone was just talking about them oh, and yes. it was always in a negative way. It is because your kids, the way that their brain is wired at this point is to be very self-focused because they need that in order to develop. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's weird or wrong for your kid or some sign that your kid's not godly, that they're sitting around, that they think, what's my thing? What's my talent? That's normal. What is weird to me is how obsessed parents are about it. 
Mm-hmm. Because you do have a frontal lobe. Your brain is developed. <laughs> Use your frontal lobe, guys. <laughs> right. And I get it because I fall on the same thing. Like, I have one daughter who is incredibly artistic. Mm-hmm. Like, incredibly. And there's all these things. I have a text on my phone right now from someone who wants them to sign up for an art camp. And I don't think it's going to work with the way we're trying to do. But I'm, as the dad, like, but I don't want her to miss out. Right. I've got one in baseball that right. is, like, pretty decent at baseball. And right. a lot of opportunities come up. And um, I want him to play baseball. I w- I'm a okay with baseball being one of his things. Sure, sure. (laughs) And knowing, but I as the parent should know, baseball will not be his thing forever. Mm -mm. I I mean, I've never watched your son play, but by by and large, you can already start to tell that kid actually has a shot to go to the majors. And it is is probably no one on the baseball field that you're kidding. It's (laughs) one guy in the state of Georgia right now who's nine years old. It's no one else. (laughs) Yeah, and it's probably not. And so you, as a parent, I think every parent's kind of aware. Like, I want them to do their best, and maybe they can play high school ball. Maybe they might play college ball. But you probably think this is not going to be their thing forever. Or even my daughter, who's artistic, I don't think she's going to make a living as an artist. I've told her before, I said, you might make it as a tattoo artist. You might make it in marketing. A variety of ways. There may be ways to use this skill, but by and large, this is not going to be the defining characteristic of your life. But it feels that way at 11. Oh, right. Or it feels that way at 7 when you're trying to make it happen. And so I always try to say to parents... It's okay that your kid is trying to figure out their thing, Mm -hmm. but you as the parent want to be able to go, I want God's goodness to be their thing because that Mm -hmm. will not only be with them throughout this life, but the next. Mm -hmm. And And I don't know what it will look like for them as an artist or, you know, even a good student. You know, even a kid who makes all A's. Like I said to I said to one group of kids, um, I had we had a group of kids at one point in our Wednesday night group, which at the time was our junior senior group, mm-hmm. and I was leading it. And there was a group of seniors that were graduating, and there were like three of them, and they were they had been in academic bowl since they were like well, seven, eight years, however yeah. old you can get into academic bowl. <laughs> they were in it. They were always that. And one of the one of the kids, they went to East Coweta High School, right? And they had eight hundred and fifty kids in their graduating right. class. Right, huge class. And one of them was like in the top 10 of that class and was really frustrated that they couldn't get to the top five. And I said, well, what is the difference percentage-wise? And the percentage-wise in their GPA was like 0.005 of a difference. It basically was one grade that was a B on a one test where the other kid got an A. Mm. And I said, in a group of 850 students, the difference between the success rate of the top five and the top 100 is negligible. It's nothing. There maybe was a time when you had a graduating class of 50 kids and I was the top of that class. The difference between that valedictorian, because this was the thing, is I wanted to be the salutatorian or the Mm. valedictorian, and I thought you were probably equally smart or smarter then the kid, if you're in the top 100, you're doing pretty good statistically on the way pretty that good. works and the way it will go. But there is this feeling among those kids of, but well, this was my thing. Uh-huh. My I thing was, my I, thing. I failed at my thing and I could have been. But everyone knows if your thing at 40 
if Molly told me the greatest achievement of her life was she was the valedictorian of her high school, I would think, <laughs> I don't want to be friends with you anymore. I don't think I want to. I have to tell you something. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't no. think, I'm not saying being valedictorian is bad. If that is the highlight of your life as a mother and a wife. Let's just stop right there. You know my mask. <laughs> I know that's your I was mask. not the valedictorian. Sorry to, I know that. to tell you that. I'm just saying, if that was the <laughs> highlight, or if the highlight of your life was you, I, I have a friend right now. You're the prom king. Whose son is playing baseball and right now they they just made it to to the state championship if the highlight of his life which i think this parent doesn't think that's true but there are parents who get sucked in on it of oh wow, they lost mm -hmm. and it's not now they can't ever be state champion at 11 mm -hmm. like if the highlight of your career is being state champion you know i watched a little lebron james high school documentary if the highlight of lebron james's career is when he was in high school <laughs> they won a state championship and it's not and i mean that's bad because he went on to be right. arguably the greatest basketball player of all time but the question is what ultimately becomes the thing, the thing for our kids. And we've said, and this is what we've been trying to do this whole series. But what we realized about halfway through is when we were taking breaks for these mini episodes, we felt like we were losing a little bit of cohesion of what we were trying to get across. Mm -hmm. So in the future, what we want to do is to be able to really do a full season where eight episodes in a row or six episodes in a row, however long it's going to be, is just talking about this one topic and then the rest of the year we're just doing the mini episodes of answering mm -hmm. questions and kind of bringing up things that are going on in our world that we want to talk or things going on in our church but or our lives or just our lives things that we want to talk <laughs> about that we've experienced at home <laughs> but we wanted to spend this first real six episode series so maybe at some point it'll be in a full playlist where you could you watch could them all just watch them all together this series has really been about good not great mm -hmm. and really about why we need the church because ultimately what we know is uh, for something to become your kids thing mm -hmm. it's going to involve some relationships outside of you Yep. I mean, if you look at your own life, yes. and as we've done, and Nathan and I will probably talk about it right now, yep. if I look at my life and I look at the, and I've had things, right, yep. in my life and people in my life, um, I rode horses growing up. Okay. And so I had- It was a, the greatest achievement of her life. Greatest achievement of my life, <laughs> that one horse show. And- uh, <laughs> Did you do horse shows? Yes, I did like the- Oh, wow. so you weren't just like, you weren't, you weren't like, just I like, I like, like horses no. and brushing horses and occasionally riding. You were a straight up horse girl. With you were- horse that did jumping and all that. Oh my gosh. This is awesome. <laughs> I know I said I, I wouldn't want to be friends with you if valedictorian was your thing, but if this was your thing, <laughs> No, I did not know that. Okay, level. so you did the horse thing. Yes, which was incredibly time-consuming, right? But yes. also, and because of that, I spent a lot of time at right. the barn. We didn't have a barn at our house, so we boarded our horse, and I was out there for lessons and practice, and, and then we would go to shows. And so I had a lot of other people in my life beyond my parents. They weren't at every single thing, right? right? right. They weren't the ones teaching me either. Yes. Um, and then there were other families there, too, yeah. and their parents were there. So I had a lot of influences and and in your within your thing you get yes. you get a lot of influences and so my parents were very good about understanding who you know knowing yes. who were the influencers you know who who was part of that that was influencing me also they recognized my, and I spoke about this on a previous episode that 
for us, church mm-hmm. was a priority. So mm-hmm. I wasn't going there on Sundays. I was at mm-hmm. church on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Only very few horse shows were on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And if there were, it had to have been like the, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time it was a no on a Sunday. Right. So, um, but anyway, as it comes to influences, they made sure those church influences mm-hmm. were bigger. Yeah, and I think and, that's critical. And very intentional, right? Right. They made sure that I had both things, but the church ones were much stronger. And those are the yes. ones that, as an adult, I still have intact. Right. Those are the ones that last on. Yeah, I have the same thing where I had I thought of two people that were really mm-hmm. bef- outside of church that were big into kind of the things I were, was into when right. I was young. So one was I had, um, so when I was in, I don't know, I'd say I was nine or 10. I had been doing theater a little bit and that was all pretty much just, I had friends at church and my mom had friends from here at church because we used to do live dramas. And we actually oh, had yes. a lot of people who did our live dramas that were involved in the local community theater. And so mm-hmm. I did that. But through that, I ended up kind of getting involved with this um, this friend of mine, but his dad would often, they would have me over to their house a lot. And his dad was really into comic books. Oh. like crazy into comic like he had he had ones that we could read and then boxes of ones that had never been opened like from oh. the time he was kids like going back to the 60s and so like the collection yes and so all through high school middle and high school I was kind of known as because that's when all the comic book movies were starting and even into like early youth ministry when they like all the MCU stuff oh, yeah. starts taking off I was the guy everyone was like well what's What's this one about? And what's that about? Because he was known for his comic. I was knowledge. known for my comic stuff, uh-huh. and so. But the reason why was because I had I had built this relationship with this friend of mine and with his dad. His dad was just a really kind guy and really nice guy, and he would he would often just go, "Hey, you should read this and you should do that." So that's one thing. The other one was me starting to play music. All started because one, I did I took piano lessons from Becky Clark, who's a person in our church. My child does too. Yeah, I was gonna say I took piano lessons there. I was terrible at the piano lessons. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what she would say, but I was not good. I eventually stopped doing those, but what got me back <laughs> into it was we had a children's minister who was wanting to start a band for the children's ministry. And my older brother, John, was already playing in that. Mm -hmm. And he had kind of learned guitar through that. He was a piano player and kind of had learned guitar. And I said, well, what if I could learn how to play bass? Maybe I could do it. So Mm -hmm. my older brother teaches me to play bass. And I'm 12 years old, and there's an older guy in the church. He's, I bet he's 19 or 20. Not older, but he was older than me. Older than you. He older was in you. college, and they had asked him, his name was Chad, and they had asked him in college, because he was interested in ministry, to start a middle school band. Okay. And I was the only middle schooler that he knew was even interested. So he came to me and was like, I heard you play bass. And I was like, yeah. I'm so me guy. and him and one and he, one of his college friends were the middle school band. That's and cool. I thought I was the coolest seventh grader in the world. I mean, it probably was kind of cool. It was, well, it was very cool because the first girl who ever even talked to me. Was because of that? I later found out when she was just thought it was cool that I was hanging out with college guys. Yes, I was just hanging out in a band. And had a 19-year-old friend. Yes, and had had 19-year-old friends. And then eventually all of that became a part of me doing that. And I told, um, our, ch- our former children's minister, who's now, um, he's traveling the world and doing all kinds of stuff. He had posted a picture of him uh, with a young, there was a young kid playing guitar, and I'm assuming, and it said worship in the background, so I assumed, oh, it's his church picture, oh, yeah. and he's doing the same thing. And I just wrote him a note just saying, hey, this really inspired me because it reminded me of, 
I would probably not be doing ministry without that influence. If that influence hadn't started, his name was Jeff, and he allowed me not only so I started playing in the middle school band, and then he eventually asked me to start leading worship for the kids, and he just gave me a band. At like 13, I was in charge of all of these other ones. He Very said, cool. you just go ahead and lead the kids and do what you're going to do. And I realize now, uh, I have all these adults who were constantly frustrated with me, which I get because now I'm looking like, I bet any decision a 13-year-old made was a dumb decision. But Jeff frequently would, I would know he would go to those he would defend you and me. Well, he would go to them and specifically say, hey, this is what we're doing. We're trying to help Nathan develop, mm -hmm. and he's going to make bad decisions at times because he's 13, but our job is to help support him, correct him when you need to, but we're not just going to quit. Right. We're not just going to give up on him. And that was hugely influential to me was that someone was willing to say, hey, your thing can be leading in the church. Your thing can be leading other people to worship, which eventually led me to do a bunch of other stuff That's in the church. So cool. But it started with that. It wasn't music. It wasn't the love of music that got me into music. Mm -hmm. It was these relationships. Yeah, I think relate, and I think it's really important to understand how, yeah. I mean, we're not supposed to, God's already said, we're not doing life alone. So right. we are constantly as a church saying, have other relationships, have yes. people in your life. That means your children too. If you're yes. your child's own, only your child's only influence first yeah. of all you're wrong yes. second of all but if you want to be the you know we've talked about this as your children age you need more influencers in their life yes. and you want those influencers to be people that are also going to point them to pursue the goodness of god and not necessarily the greatness um and that the world says so we you know, that's why we talk about church as a community, having your children here, having, you know, relationships with their with their small group leader, having relationships with other adults, mm -hmm. having other some of some of the people who have influenced my children have been friends of ours that have, um, you know, that also have the same intentions in mind. And yeah. so it's really important that we continually put our children in situations where we allow those influences to be mm -hmm. to be strong for them. So last time I did one of these, I talked all about how important it is for us as a church to affirm and encourage our teenagers. I talked about how it's one of the key tenets of our student ministry. And today I wanna to talk about one of the other big ideas that we try to push with the teenagers that are in our church, which is this idea of mobilization. This one is mainly focused on the older students in our church. And the main reason is that they are asking three key questions as adulthood approaches. The first thing they're wondering is why they should believe this. I remember when I was in high school, that was when it became cool for my friends and I to not spend as much time at church. It's not that church became evil, but it became bland and boring. And I think a big reason for that is because there was no purpose. Sure, it was generically good for me to be there, but where on earth was this going? For me, it was just the place I spent my Wednesday nights and my Sunday mornings. And if I'm being completely honest with you, this is the question that has been driving the force behind how I approach student ministry. If a teenager is only at church because their parents are at church or their friends are at church, eventually they won't be. The answer has to be something that transcends themselves. The early church was an active participant in the society it was present in. And all too often, when we think the church needs to be more active in today's context, 
We think that means we need to be dictating what people can or cannot do and less on simply walking humbly into their lives and offering ourselves as Jesus did for us. A real hero of mine is a man named Fred Hampton who grew up in Chicago and was instrumental during the civil rights movement in bringing justice to the black community of inner city Chicago. And his career all started with his relationship with Jesus and his church at the age of 18. This leads into the next question, how can I matter? The thing is, there might be a reason for the church to exist in their mind, but if they don't see that they're an integral part of the operation, they won't make it. Something that we as a church do a great job of is emphasizing the need for service. I love that about our church. But something that I want is for that mentality to start bleeding down into the teenagers. Just a couple of weeks ago, me and a few students in our church went and served our community, doing yard work, being with people who need help. That's what I want the students in our church to see. I want them to see that the church is a place that they're meant to leave and be driven by. I think about in Acts chapter two, when Luke writes, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I think an error I made often, especially when I was younger, was to think that the anyone who had need was just anyone who had need in our church. But if the church isolates itself, it dies. This, I think, is where the teenagers in our church shine brightest. They go into a hostile environment when it comes to their faith every day that they go to school. And it also is true, no matter what your age is, that your faith cannot survive alone. On the flip side, when their faith is all about actions that they take regularly to help build others up in unison with others doing the same, that is when Jesus invades all aspects of one's life. So the final question that a teenager asks is very practical. What will I do? Something I love about student ministry is that I get to be on the front row of people who are finding out what kind of person they want to be. And getting to watch them fall in love with Jesus is easily the coolest part. I can think of a couple students in our church right now. They aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination and they still need to work on themselves a lot but they are actively following Jesus in ways that are very tangible. When I was their age, I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do. I went to church twice a week. I went to CIY and I even invited friends to church sometimes. But never once did I look beyond the places I was already present. I never sat with that kid who was alone by themselves at the lunch table. Teenagers today want more from the church. They want the church to actually mean something, not just to their lives, but to the world. They want to see an impact which means that we as the church need to create spaces for them to follow God's will for their lives. I love that when I take a few teenagers to clean up an old lady's yard, there are two other elderly gentlemen there right alongside us working together. That's what the church is, a group of people with very little in common, aside from the desire to pursue Christ and love others as he loved us first. Well, I liked hearing about what Sawyer and the student ministry team yeah. is doing um, to get their kids um, finding their thing. Yeah, um, exactly. That idea of kind of mobilizing them through serving, it inevitably helps them find out that that stuff we said at the very beginning, meaning, significance, 
they matter and they mm-hmm. matter in the church and what they do matters. And that's the way we as a church are trying to accomplish it. I think I think what they're doing is awesome. I think it's very cool. Yeah. Um, well, and you know, we as parents, mm-hmm. <laughs> we can, no matter what age our kid is, yes. we can do things and take steps to help, you know, set our kids up for all of this as well. And I yeah. know we've talked about um, influences and we right. as parents are the primary influence. Always. 100%. We, but what's really important and what we hope we've said is that we are not the sole influence. We don't want Correct. to be the sole influence. No, and there's really no way for you to no. be. Once again, unless you're just choosing the Amish route. And maybe that's the best thing that this podcast can do is help you either go go the direction <laughs> we're trying to go as a church or go or straight, straight up Amish. Amish or just go fully into the culture. Pick one yeah. of the pick one of the things, but there is yeah, this fork here. There is this tension. Maybe that's what the conversation before we started filming was about. I would I so Molly and I, as you can probably imagine, get off into the weeds a lot in our personal conversations. (laughs) We are having a conversation about a situation in my life where that's often the direction people want to go is, I'm going to go fully into this idea of like purity, which means to remove yourself from anything that's cultural, anything anyone else is doing, anything that... Bubble yourself up. Bubble myself up. Or, well, you just have to go full into this affirming, embracing, everything that the culture is doing is fine. It's fine. And what we are trying to do as a church is really to live in this tension of, I still want to have relationship and influence with people who are who are who are in this world and living in this world, but to still do it where I am seeking first Jesus. Right. And there's a tension that that creates because you got to live in this balance oh, yeah. that Jesus had to live in, where he was at meals with sinners and tax collectors, and everyone on the outside would have looked and said. Oh, he thinks what they're doing is fine. He's but, fully on board with what they're but doing. But he never said that. But he never did. In fact, he would say the opposite to them. Right. Of, they often, he would have to say to them, go and sin no more. Or turn, repent yeah. of your sins, right? And come, uh, you know, believe in me or join the kingdom of God. And so there was this, but he was always living in this tension of, I'm not going to fully say what you're doing is good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call what you're doing good. I will call it sinful and evil. Mm-hmm. But I will also call you towards what God is calling you to do mm-hmm. without bubbling myself off like the Pharisees would. Right. And I think that's what we're trying to do with our kids. Oh, I think so, too. I think we're trying to say, you know, you're, you're, we are all living in this, in this yes. world. We're yes. all living in this world. But we, we know that the kingdom of God is also yes. this world. And we are here living in that. And so yes. we need to... They, they are happening at the same time. Yes, and that's and the so, point that Jesus and makes. And so we as parents can't say, okay, we're going to just go over here and do solely, you know, kingdom of God in this little bubble. Yes. And we shouldn't because if we're over there doing that, we are not going to do what we've been called to do. Yes. And our children are not going to do what we've been called to do and and help others find yes. Jesus as well. And so what, when we talk a lot about, and I know in our parenting ministry we say it all the time, we've now said it in several sermons, you as the parent are the primary influencer. What we we, we do not mean is that you are the sole influencer. Mm-hmm. You are, and the way I often say it in our media series, like you are the uh, primary stakeholder. You are the majority yes. stakeholder mm-hmm. of influence, which means you have 51 to maybe 65% of the influence on mm-hmm. your kid because there are all other kinds of influences coming in. Teachers are influencing your kids. Other other parents are. Other kids are. Things they're seeing yeah. on TV and social media are. Yes. And if you think that your child is 100% influenced by something else, yes. like a bad kid, a yes. bad kid at school, that That's is a also point. a bad 
I, you know, that is also a false thing you're telling yourself. We never, there, there's not one influence the, over yes. us, positive or negative, that the is that, the only influence. The way that you and I know talk about a lot are in terms of circles of influence. Right. We the, use this phrase of circles of influence, and right. I wish we, we could have drawn up our visual, but we yes. don't have that. But you could imagine You could imagine. There's you all know circle, what a circle looks there's like. A circle. Imagine a bunch of circles, and some of the circles are bigger than others. Yes. And some of the circles are, yeah. you know, they, they might grow, and they might change. And you as a parent are the primary influence, but it is a diminishing influence. I don't think there ever comes a point it gets below 51%, no. at least by the time your kids are 18. But I would even say into adulthood, my parents still hold a huge influence. They hold probably less than they did when I was 18. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm, you know, parenting my own kids, yes. I'm doing that. But they are still a very large circle. What my parents think of me, you know, I still want to make my mom and dad proud. I still want mm -hmm. them to say, hey, you're doing a good job. So they're a big sphere. Even if you don't have... Even if you're someone listening, you don't have a great relationship with your parents. The influence that they had on you and continue to have on you probably still exists. Meaning, oh, yes. meaning you may do stuff totally opposite of them. Yes, your of decision it. to do but, X, Y, or Z because I will not do what my parents did yeah. means they still hold influence. Yes, parent, parent. I, I agree with you 100%. Never less than 50%. Whether you yes. have a positive or a negative relationship, and, and we have, want it to be positive. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you have, so I would say when you have a baby. You're a hundred to ninety-nine to a hundred percent of the influence, right? right? You and your spouse, or you know, if you've got a babysitter, they might have a little bit of that influence. But by and large, the 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 more time you have with your kids, mm -hmm. the larger your sphere of influence. And when they're babies and you can physically pick them up and yes. move them, you are the largest influence. And then it shrinks a little bit when they start going to school because now they've got teachers and there's other kids, right? And then it shrinks a little bit once they get into middle and high school because mm -hmm. their brain starts developing in a way that they say, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. Right. And it shrinks a little bit. But you always have the largest. But what I always say is, even if you have 70% of the influence over your kid and you're using all of your influence towards Jesus, there is still 30% that is missing. Mm -hmm. And what you, so you are the primary influencer, but you cannot be the sole influencer. Mm -hmm. You need other circles of influence mm -hmm. of varying sizes that are coming in to support you to make up that other 30%. And each circle of influence may only be 3%, 5% influence. Yes. But if you can get enough of them in there, it builds it up. And we know this, This I know this already probably sounds silly to some of you because you're just imagining a bunch of bubbles <laughs> stacking on top of each other. Kind of true. <laughs> yes, but there has been research. When I started in student ministry on staff, they had me read a book called Sticky Faith by Kara Powell. Uh, and I'm sure there's someone else, but Kara Powell's the only one I remember. So yes, I'm sorry to those others of you who also contributed to the book. Kara Powell is awesome, and I've read several of her books. She's the person I remember. Uh, and uh -huh. she just has released a new book. We were at a yes, uh, conference did. that she's got a new book coming out. Um, but she's a researcher that primarily researches youth ministry and church involvement after their faith development after, after youth ministry. And the point yeah, is because ultimately we want them to go on and be yes. adult. I mean that's what we're doing. We're trying to have adults that go on and participate in the kingdom of God and yes. and then have their own children that they then focus on the kingdom of God and pursue continually pursue goodness far beyond youth ministry. <laughs> well, and that's just the truth of whether you're trying to go towards goodness or greatness, you are not raising a good three-year-old or a great three-year-old. You're raising an 18-year-old. You're ultimately raising a 75-year-old. They will eventually be 75, you hope, 
and that they live a good a long life. And our hope is that the faith, you know, the kind of seeds of faith we plant, that then other people come in and water, mm-hmm. right, and help develop. Mm-hmm. They grow throughout their life, that they would have the, then by the time they're 75, they would see this harvest of goodness in their life. Mm-hmm. And what Kara Powell points out is that you have that the statistically the kids uh, who stayed in church uh, and stayed with their faith, they would say their faith is an important part of their life. Yeah. Up to the age of 22, at, this was during Sticky Faith, that's how they were measuring it, was it was nine out of 10 kids who loved their youth group, loved their church involvement, by the time they were 22, had not only dropped church, but had dropped faith entirely. Nine out of 10. <laughs> which, which I would just say, for the majority of my time in student ministry, it's a pretty accurate number. Uh, yeah. um, but they would look at those one out of 10s, and they got a whole group of them, and they looked at them and they said, what is it that was consistent about them that was not consistent? Both groups loved their youth group. Both were involved with stuff. The thing that the ones had that the nine didn't, mm-hmm. the ones had seven to eight adults in their life outside of their parents mm-hmm. that they knew cared about them and that they cared about what they thought. Mm-hmm. So seven to eight adults in the church mm-hmm. That would say, I would say, I can say their, I know their name, they know my name, they know things about my life, I know things about their life, I care what they think. Those those students, they had a faith that lasted into adulthood, whereas the other ones, maybe they only had two or three. They had a youth leader that re- they really liked, or they had two youth leaders that they were really connected to. So as family ministry leaders, like yes. we know this because we, you know, we we care about this, and we build this as much as we can mm-hmm. into everything that we do when it comes to programming yes. our children and our teenagers. So yes. like Sawyer talked about, what some of the things that they're doing and getting kids serving and things those that also includes other adults serving yeah. with them and other influences. We as uh, children's leaders, um, we have our program designed to to prioritize the relational side of what we do. Yes, we love when your kids learn and memorize verses and all that. Great. To me, that's the byproduct, right? Because what I really care about is that your children come in and they come out knowing they're loved. Yes. They come out knowing, and not not just by God, but by the by the adults that were with them. Yes. And we strive for consistency in who those adults are in those classrooms. We have a small group setting and a large group setting, yes. and that that intentionally puts your children in relationship with more than one adult. Mm-hmm. And then we try to have it be consistent in that I, you know. If, if your leader is there, they're probably there three or four weeks out of a month mm-hmm. every time so that your child has the yes. time and opportunity to develop the relationship with that leader. And mm-hmm. then they'll move on to another leader. And yes. and even if they move on to another leader, that the, the idea is that the relationship is still intact. I know lots of adults that still talk to their children's yes. ministry leader from when they were, oh, like you yeah. taught, like you've said. So, yes. you know, we... we Intentionally, as a family ministry, plan that. That's another reason why you need to be here and have your mm-hmm. children here consistently mm-hmm. um, because it's designed to help foster those relationships mm-hmm. and have those you know, circles of influence um, you know, instilled in your children. But we as parents can do things too uh, yes. to make sure that happens. So yeah. on the kid front, let's talk about that a little bit for, for kids. Yeah, I think, I think the thing I try to do a lot, and I would encourage every parent to do. So I think the number one thing to know is you got to invest in the people who are investing in your kids. Mm-hmm. And the number one thing is if you don't know the names of the teachers who are with your kids, 
That's the first step. Mm -hmm. Introduce yourself. Get to know them, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I would do is I would invest in them. And here's what I mean. I have seen throughout doing youth ministry, um, people, leaders who really invested in kids. And the kids just loved them. And, I mean, they really, they didn't know it at the time, but I could see it. They were really, in the way it's meant to be, their faith was really tied up with this other person. You know, I am... I think about a lot with First uh, Corinthians, where Paul is talking about he's he's talking about how hey some of you guys have tied up your faith too much right mm-hmm. in these people because he goes some of you got baptized by Paul some of you got baptized by Paulus in fact that's one of my favorite things and just the little weird like mistakes that are in the Bible which for some people they don't like that idea at all but there's a part where Paul says I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you and then he talks for a little more he goes well I did baptize that person and that person and then he keeps going he goes oh and I also forgot I did baptize that person too you can tell it's very stream of consciousness for Paul Paul's like I didn't baptize nobody and you appreciate that don't you you? Know, <laughs> you know maybe I did baptize that one guy oh Oh, and that family also baptized those people. (laughs) Totally forgot about you. Sorry. But no, my favorite part is that it's just this very human (laughs) moment for Paul where he's kind of figuring out. He says, some of you got baptized by Paul. There was another church leader named Apollos, which I thought was very Mm -hmm. cool. Paul and Apollos. Paul and Apollos. Right. And he goes, some of you got baptized by them. And he goes, but all of you were baptized into Christ. And then he says this phrase that I used to use a lot with student leaders of some, he goes, some people plant the seed. He says, mm-hmm. Paul planted the seed of faith. Apollos watered it, right? But it's God who makes the harvest. Yes. Right? God is the one who makes the harvest. And that's what we want for our kids. And I have seen leaders who have maybe in young ages have really planted the seeds of faith. Mm-hmm. Others of them who have been watering those seeds. And the kids really start to see, like, I could be like, you know, Mr. Matt. Or oh, who's yes. one of our volunteers. Or I could be like Miss Dana. I could be like them. But then what happens is those leaders over time... It, one of the hardest ones, and I'd say this is honestly, it's even harder for student leaders, uh, I think, than really. even in children's. It's really hard to see if you're ever making a difference. You know, there's a little bit when the kids are really young and they maybe grasp who God is for the first time and you see it light up. Or, you or were even talk- when they're really excited to see you. Yeah, they're <laughs> excited to see you and they're cute. You know, but when you have a 13-year-old come in and you're like, how are you? And they just grunt at you like they do at you, the parent. They also do that to the volunteers in student ministry. Mm-hmm. You start to wonder... Is anything even happening? Mm-hmm. And eventually those leaders, they hear Molly, the you know, the children's pastor and Sawyer, the student pastor, telling them. But they also kind of know in the back of their head, like, well, Molly's got other reasons to tell me I'm doing a good job because Molly needs a Molly warm body needs, in this Molly room. Molly needs leaders. Molly needs leaders. So maybe Molly's just saying that to me because she wants me to think I matter, so I stay involved. But when a parent comes up, and so I try to do this a lot and go to Joe, who's one of my kids' teachers, and Dana, who's one of my kids' teacher, Matt, who also has done that, but you were talking about you know, the multiple leaders. I have younger kids who aren't even in Matt's class, but because y'all do large group together, they, they see Mr. Matt, and they love Mr. Matt. They know all kinds of things about Mr. Matt. And I try to tell them all the time, hey, what you're doing really matters. I want you to know from a parent, it really matters. Because there is something that speaks to a volunteer when a parent comes to them and says, my kids love you and you're making a difference in their lives, that volunteer really feels like, man, this is worth the investment. This Mm -hmm. is worth my time. And you as a parent want that to happen because what I have seen is the people who planted the seeds in water, when they start to feel like it doesn't matter and they kind of go, well, you know what? After these kids graduate, I'm going to stop. I have seen leaders leave 
and seven to eight kids stop, especially in student ministry. It's a little harder in children's yeah. ministry. But seven to eight students, they just stopped coming to church mm-hmm. because they came because of that leader. And we really told them, hey, you got to build a relationship with that leader. And they don't have enough of the frontal lobe developed to go, right. oh, I need to stay involved. You want that leader to keep investing in those kids. Right. You as the parent hold a lot of sway. So if you could get to know your children's yeah, teacher. And if, and if you don't know who they are, introduce yourself. If you don't. If you want me to introduce you, I'm happy to do so. Yes. Same with Sawyer and students. I know students go in on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a little bit different in the drop-off and pickup process and all that. But Sawyer, get to know Sawyer, and Sawyer will introduce you to their leaders. And, you know, we, we know that... With students, you we, we still want you to do the same thing with the leaders and, and be involved. And then you back up a little bit and let the leaders influence your children. Yeah. But you should also have a relationship with them. Yeah. Know what who I, they are. Know, you know. What I tried to encourage parents to do when I was doing youth ministry, and so I want to encourage you to do this, you know, for, for Sawyer and them, is one, invest. So all the things I said about children's ministry, get to know them, tell them they're doing a good job. But, you know, as you're, and you're feeling it a lot. I know because I'm just now starting with a, a preteen who's quickly Ooh. approaching teenage years. My level of influence is starting to it shrink. It fast. And he feels like it comes out of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to grasp on. I want to I argue this point a little more. I want to influence more. I want to kind of go at this. And you start seeing that a student leader has more, not they don't have more influence, but it feels like they have more influence. Because suddenly your teenager comes home and goes, by the way, guess what, Mr. Matt said? And you're like, that's what I've been trying to tell you for two years and you didn't listen. And you often say that. Or maybe the student leader kind of encourages them in something that you go, I'm not sure. I kind of wanted them not to care. Maybe the student leader says, hey, you know, you matter more than your grades. Mm -hmm. But what your student heard was grades don't matter. Don't even try at school, which Mm -hmm. happens, Mm -hmm. right? Which isn't what the student leader said. And you heard that and you're really frustrated about their grades. And you go, don't ever listen to Sawyer again. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Grades matter. And you go in there. Sawyer's dumb. <laughs> and now what you've done is you've jumped in and you've now either uh, lost your influence on the kid or you have said you shouldn't listen to this person that I do want you to influence. Instead of what you do would do what a lot of teenage parents I'm learning I have to do is go, huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what that person said. Okay, interesting. You don't say anything to the kid. And then if you want to, because now you've built the relationship, say, hey, guess what my kid said the other day? Mm-hmm. They said that you said this. Can you help me understand what you were trying to say? And maybe you have the influence on that. Or maybe you just allow the uh, this other student leader to have investment in your kid because you know that leader, you know their heart, you know they're trying to draw them towards Jesus. And you are able to say, hey, I want you to have a big enough sphere that as my sphere is shrinking, I at least know who the people are who are getting spheres of influence with my kid. And so I just really want to encourage encourage you once again, make sure you're increasing how many circles your kids have, but also the size of those circles. Yes. You want them to have that influence because you, even though you are the primary one, you are not the sole influencer on your kid. Mm -mm. And all of us are trying to get back to that idea that we've been talking about this whole time of we want our kids to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all other things and his goodness. And earlier in that Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says that, he says this beautiful line where he says, the blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. And I think it's Soren Kierkegaard who at one point talked about purity of heart. And he said, purity of heart is just to will one thing, 
to want and work for one thing. Mm-hmm. That the kind of and this is what people love, and this is why we love athletes. I think mm-hmm. because that is the difference between LeBron James and your kid. It's not just that he's you know genetically designed to mm-hmm. to be an amazing basketball player. He willed one thing. He mm-hmm. got up. He ate. You know, slept, drank basketball. That's all he thought about. He willed one thing. We love that. What if your kids' one thing that they willed was God, mm-hmm. was being in the kingdom of God, pursuing mm-hmm. God's goodness and his righteousness? Mm-hmm. Well, the only way that's going to happen is if the people you surround him with. You know, LeBron James, it was not just a, his mom that was like, you should be a no. great basketball player, patting him on the back. He had a coach. He had, All his friends were playing basketball. All the people in his life were helping him say, this is the one thing. Mm-hmm. This is the one thing. Well, what if every friend... Every relationship they had who had the biggest influences were people saying, the one thing is Jesus and his kingdom. Yes, because when your child doesn't, your child's not going to naturally point their feet towards Jesus. So you need those influences to help point them there. Yeah. So I think that's the end of our season. Yeah, it's been fun. It has been good. And we'll be back with another one. Yeah, next week we'll have a mini episode and hopefully in a couple months. Keep sending in your questions. We've been getting great questions from you guys. You can see the form in the show notes and um, we will address those and we'll do mini episodes for those. But thank you for being with us on our first first season and um, keep on being not great parents. Yeah. See ya. See ya.